Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 585. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. New year, new me. Let's go! Blow up! Yeah! <laughs> How you doing, Lorraine? I'm good! It's a new year. Nothing bad can happen. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> no, she said it! Oh, no. No, everything is good. Gently good. Hopefully good. Fingers crossed. You know, how about you, Ryan? Yeah, you, except- you have a much more exciting week ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, like I throw a smoke bomb down and I'm gone because I, as everybody will listen to this, I will be at Walt Disney World enjoying the first vacation proper I've had in X number of years, however long that's been. And the first time we're taking our three-year-old daughter, Catherine, to Disney World and that's going to be exciting going to have a whole bunch of fun uh, I will attempt to ride Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind but I am not one for spinning things or No you get sick and scream intense... like a girl <laughs> 100% and I like a, love like it a, like a little little tiny girl kid you do scream like a scared animal that's been cornered yeah. it is an absolute sight to behold a grown adult man <laughs> Hollerin. Yeah. Also, the day that this episode comes out, not only will you be at Disney World, mm-hmm. it will also be your birthday, special birthday boy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody wish Ryan Thanks. a happy birthday at H&M on, on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or wherever you're stalking him. He really likes it when you make a big deal about his birthday. Make a really big deal. Make him feel like put upon with your attention. That's what he likes. For his you monster! You have, <laughs> but don't give him monster. cake. Give him cookies because he doesn't like cake. There, that, that was one thing that was true. Let's get the show on the road. Enough talking about my dumb birthday because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. We have some fun guests later on in the show. Yeah, we have on Alan Gratz and Brent Schoonover, author and artist of Captain America: The Ghost Army. A wonderful new original graphic novel for young people. I can't wait for us to get into that more. But first, let's go smaller or bigger or bigger and and then smaller and then medium size. All the sizes, all the (laughs) possibilities. Oh, man, y'all. It's time for Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. The new trailer debuted this week during the National College Football Championship game. We got to see a new poster, which is I'm obsessed with that new poster because it looks unlike any other MCU poster we've ever released officially. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, this is so cool. It's got like a real cool artsy vibe. It really gives you that sense of color and cool weirdness that I don't think y'all are ready for, even after this new trailer. It's a movie you do not want to miss. See it in theaters, big screens, go Mm -hmm. many, many times. This is the beginning of phase five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Very exciting. I'm really excited for everybody to check it out. The film will only be coming to theaters February 17th. So soon. Yeah. Even sooner, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, just in case you missed it, coming to Disney Plus on February 1st, which is just around the corner. That's going to be great. Watch it again and again and again and again and again and again. And for a behind the scenes look, remind everyone go subscribe to the Wakanda Forever, the official Black Panther podcast, which is coming January 18th across all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It includes a bunch of the creative team and cast from the film. You don't want to miss it. 
And a quick shout out to our queen, Queen Ramonda, that is, a.k.a. Angela Bassett, who won Best Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture at the Golden Globes this week for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Congratulations. Long may you reign. Also reigning supreme, these 100 years of Disney variant covers. They are super cute. So Disney is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. And with that, they are doing some cool stuff throughout the year, all kinds of celebrations and fun things. But you can also check out these new variant covers that have Mickey and friends as Marvel heroes. The first one is a take on Avengers number four, and it says, Disney 100, what if Mickey and his friends were Earth's mightiest heroes? So, of course, Mickey on this first cover is like Captain America and Goofy as Iron Man and Pluto as Ant-Man. Also, the villain Pete is on and like an Infinity Gauntlet style cover where he is Thanos and it is everything that you've ever wanted. Infinity Gauntlet number one, that original cover by George Perez is one of my favorite things of all time. So this vibe is... Yeah, chef's kiss. There are going to be 12 covers in all plus black and white versions. There's going to be one each month of the year and they're going to be found on upcoming issues of Amazing Spider-Man that started this week on Amazing Spider-Man number 17th. So go get your behind over to your local comic shop if you want to grab one. Yeah. Go enjoy it. All right. Now you're going to go to your comic book shop. Maybe when you're there picking up these variants, you want to tell them you would like to put on your poll list Guardians of the Galaxy, which will have a new series. We just announced it with the first issue coming in April, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who are doing some really great work on Captain America right now. Art by Kev Walker, who did wonderful work on a recent Winter Soldier storyline. He's been doing hang up stuff on Predator. He's just a ding dang delight of an artist. So I'm very excited about this series. And actually, Kev Walker is a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's been wanting to draw them for a long time. He's got some new designs and, and vibes for the core cast members. There's got this like weird Wild West feeling to them. And, Space uh, Cowboys? You know, so a little bit of Space Cowboys, leaning more into the Cowboys than we've seen before. It's really looks really, really cool. You can see designs on Marvel's Twitter for them uh, right now. And the synopsis for this is... There's a new phenomenon known as Groot Fall, an overwhelmingly powerful threat that will force the Guardians on a new mission that will test their limits as a found family. Groot Fall will not only push the team to their breaking point, but will also drive them out to the furthest reaches of space where they'll encounter strange worlds in desperate need of the Guardians. It's going to be a humdinger. Well, hot dang. And speaking of the Guardians, we also have an announcement for Groot number one. Groot, 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 Groot. I am Groot. There's a new Groot comic coming our way, Groot number one, written by Dan Abnett, who we love his work on Guardians of the Galaxy, absolutely iconic, joined by artist Damien Cosero. This is just a little scene setting. Before he was a Guardian of the Galaxy, before the Groot fall, which we were just talking about, young Groot lived a life of tranquility on his serene homeworld. But when monstrous invaders attack his planet, Groot must accept his heroic destiny. But will this destiny lead him to come to blows with a young Kree soldier by the name of Marvel? Super excited for this series. Dan Abnett is just going to be so great on this. So is Damien. It's going to be such a good one. Look out for that coming this May. Lots and lots of good stuff coming for comics. Yeah. 
Let's talk about Karma in Love. It's a new arc of the Infinity comic Love Unlimited. It's a six-part story. Love Unlimited is our romance anthology series. This one is drawn by Chong Lin Nguyen, colored by Triona Farrell. And the synopsis here is that life on Krakoa has been good to Karma. She's been able to expel her twin brother's trapped psyche from her mind, undertake heroic missions as a new mutant, and has even found the time to begin dating fellow mutant Galora. When her relationship hits the rocks, everything seems to start falling apart. You can get new stories. New parts of this will come out Thursday only on the Marvel Unlimited app. And over on Marvel.com, Robin Belt has a really cool interview with the writer-artist Trung Lee Nguyen on the series and creating this comic. I love love. How nice. Boo to love. Boo to love. You love your wife and child so much. Love stinks. Love is gross but necessary. Uh, moving on. <laughs> also gross but necessary, the apocalypse. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Marvel's Wastelanders is bringing the dystopian future. It is, of course, the 10-episode weekly series in the final chapter of the Marvel's Wastelanders audio epic, which has included many series. And this, of course, is the first podcast crossover event for Marvel and Sirius XM. It's all been coming down to this, and we're on chapter seven titled fractured which is available this week a little bit about the episode so right now over at avengers mansion the heroes are pulled into the cosmic cubes reality and each of them is sent into a different version of the past to face their demons and in fact here's a little taste do not be alarmed this is exactly where you are supposed to be peter quill natasha romanoff clint barton james howland Who's James Howlett? A name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Hello? Am I dead? Is this the afterlife? Gotta be honest, I expect it to be a lot cooler. Maybe Logan was right. This is some sick punishment forcing us to live our biggest regrets over and over. (sighs) Look who finally showed up. Helena. What the hell is this? Come on, Black Widow. You know what this is. Logan! Thank God you're here. Jeannie? Yes, Logan. It's so great you're back. You've been gone far too long. All right, there you go. Subscribe to the SXM app or Marvel Podcast Unlimited on Apple Podcasts to hear the episodes of Marvel's Wastelanders one week early. And subscribe to Marvel Podcast Unlimited on Apple Podcasts for additional bonus content. You're welcome. Learn more at SiriusXM.com slash Wastelanders. Yeah. And if you're ready for more podcasts, Podcast? go check out Marvel's Pull List, the other podcast that I co-host, where we give you details on all the new comics coming out every week. We pick our favorites. We give out awards. We tell you all kinds of fun stuff. We try not to spoil stuff, but we get hyped about various comics. Our picks of the week this week are Amazing Spider-Man number 17, which is just... It's absolutely bananas. It is a story set in limbo, drawn by Ed McGinnis. I, please, please, go read this comic. It's so much fun. You can also get the Disney 100 variant on it. This is true. Good call back. Let's talk about Black Panther, number 13, <laughs> and Wolverine, number 29, which on the like opposite side of the spectrum, it is the most horrific, sad, violent, but potentially hopeful 
issue we've had this year so far. I guess we're only like two weeks in. Fine, whatever. Leave me alone. All right. We also have a reading club this week with Torin Clark, who is the cover artist for Silver Surfer Ghostlight. Torin is great. And if you want to hear me and Torin and Jasmine, the co-host, just freak out about some great 90s Silver Surfer comics, this is your jam. It's really, really fun. We had a blast. Go check it out. New episodes of Marvel's Pull List every Tuesday. You can listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. All right. That was the news, but you know what's new too? Ghosts. Actually, ghosts are pretty old, I guess. That's how that works. In fact, they're so old, they're not even alive anymore. Ghosts, 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 ghosts. Welcome to This Week in Ghosts. And This Week in Ghosts, we're talking with Alan Gratz and Brent Schoonover, author and artist of Captain America, the Ghost Army. This was just such a delightful read and such a delightful interview. I learned actually some cool stuff about World War II that I did not know. We're going to get into that and more. And you better believe we're going to talk about punching Nazis together. We are delighted to be joined by writer Alan Gratz. Hello, Alan. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah. And illustrator and vagabond Brent Schoonover. <laughs> Hello, Brent. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. Hello, Lori. Thank you for joining us. I hope you have on your ghost detection gear, everyone, because we're getting into it. But Always. before we go and visit a ghost army, let's talk a little bit about your Marvel origin stories. What are the first ways that you encountered the Marvel universe? Alan, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So my funny story about me and comics is that my parents really didn't like comics. They thought comics weren't good literature, and they wanted to make sure that I only was exposed to good literature. And so I had to sneakily trade for comics on the street, like trade toys and other stuff, you know, for comics, which, of course, my parents saying, no, I won't take you to the comic book store only made me want to read them more. So weirdly, I ended up was a kid of the 70s and the 80s, and, and so I ended up with a bunch of toy-related stuff. Like, I had a random issue of the Micronauts, you know? Oh, and, yeah. and I I think Bill Mantlo wrote it. And um, I ended up with a single issue of an Indiana Jones Further Adventures that Marvel did. And, of course, in the pages of Micronauts, you'd run into Nightcrawler was showing up and stuff like that. And so, or Nick Fury shows up in one of them for no good reason. And so, like, I kind of got this exposure to the Marvel universe through these random comics that I was able to acquire. And then it really wasn't until I went to college and had a roommate who went to the comic book store every Wednesday. And that's when I finally got to dive in. And uh, as a matter of fact, I dedicated this book to him because he was the first person who really let me have access to his library of comics. Greg Bunch, shout out. Nice. Very nice. And what about you, Brent? Oh, I grew up in northern Illinois, right outside of Chicago. And uh, my parents took me on a really long, boring trip to Mount Rushmore when I was really young. I mean, once we got to Mount Rushmore, that was cool. But the drive there was absolutely boring. But there's this place in South Dakota that you can stop called Wall Drug. We got there and uh, there just happened to be like a news rack with comic books. The first time I'd ever really gotten a chance. And my dad just bought me a bunch of them to probably keep me quiet for the rest of the ride to Mount Rushmore. And it was like right in the middle of Peter David's Hulk run. So there was an awesome issue of like Mr. Fix-It fighting Spider-Man in Vegas. And then there was a issue of West Coast Avengers. That was really awesome. I remember those two just like blowing me away. And then obviously with my interest in illustrating, like I think I just traced every panel of those issues repeatedly. Just loved them. And I still have them this day. And then uh, just from there, there was a lot of rummage sales that like we would find comics at when I was a kid. For five bucks, you'd get like 
30 comics and you never really knew what you got. I remember reading a lot of Nova, never knew who he was, but like fell in love with that character and yeah, just kind of got hooked through that way. A boring road trip and rummage sales. (laughs) (laughs) How about you guys getting your starts in your various careers? Like Brent, how did you start getting into actually making art and doing comics and stuff like that? I always knew I wanted to do it. I just loved drawing, you know, superheroes and stuff like that. And throughout school, I mean, I got terrible grades, but my teacher's always like, it's pretty good Hulk drawing you put on that math there. <laughs> you got the math was terrible. But uh, yeah, my parents were, I, and this is something I kind of found out how lucky I really was when once I got to art school was how lucky I had supportive parents who supported it. And like, I was like, I want to go to art school. I want to do this. They took me to different colleges and stuff like that to, you know, see if that was a fit. I went to Wizard World Chicago one summer with my brother and the Minneapolis College of Art and Design had a booth there. And Ryan Kelly, who's an amazing illustrator, was at the booth and I saw his art and it was really impressive. And I just grabbed a pamphlet, came home and I was like, I think I want to go check this out. I just fell in love with it. I love the school. I love the atmosphere. Yeah. So I ended up moving up here to Minneapolis and uh, I had an inker named Barb Scholes who did a bunch of work on Micronauts. I had her as a teacher and it was great. And she, she was awesome. That's how I kind of got, you know, graduated and stuff like that. But then I just, I created my own creator own comics throughout when I first got started with some friends that got a little bit of traction and I started getting some freelance work. And it took a long time. I mean, the Marvel thing was like my romantic dream. I was always wanted to do it. And it took years to get to. And it took a lot of non-Marvel work. And then eventually, uh, I think Ant-Man was my first gig. I got an Ant-Man annual right around when the movie came out, which was awesome. Did a little Punisher fill-in work. And and now we're here with Captain America. Yeah. yeah. Alan, what about you? It's what, almost 20 books that you've been, yeah. you've been writing for a while. How'd you get started like figuring out that this is my jam? This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. First of all, uh, who knew we'd have two Micronauts shout out to the same podcast? <laughs> yeah. That's so uh, random. I love That's it. totally random. I love the synchronicity of it. So like Brent, I knew that I wanted to be a writer, not an illustrator, but I knew what I wanted to do from when I was a little kid. As soon as I understood what stories were, I wanted to be writing them. I often tell sort of my origin story as a writer going to see Star Wars for the first time. And coming out of there with my mind blown, it was five years old, you know, and being like, whoa, and going out in the backyard and pretending to be Han Solo or Luke and have adventures in the backyard. But I wasn't reliving Star Wars. I was making up my own stories and I had all the action figures and and I was basically doing fanfic with all of those characters in that world that I loved so much. And so that was really my first taste of storytelling. And then like Brent, I kind of started doing my own stuff, creating my own characters, creating my own worlds. All through middle school, I worked at being a writer, worked on short stories and and skits. And and then in high school, I did the same thing. But then I also kind of started thinking, like, maybe I need to actually make money at this. And I didn't know anybody who wrote books or plays or movies, you know, for a living. So I started thinking about journalism because there was a newspaper in town and I knew that was a job you could have as a writer. And so I started thinking about journalism. I did an internship at the local newspaper and like one day on the job and I was like, yep, that's not what I want to do as a writer. (laughs) I mean, I love newspapers. I love magazines. I read them all the time. But I was like, nope, nope, nope. I want to make stuff up. They kind of don't like it if you make stuff up in the newspaper. So (laughs) I went to the University of Tennessee, which was my hometown university. I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. I said, I don't know how you make any money at this, 
I don't know how you make a career at this, but I'm going to go all in on creative writing. I found a specialized degree at Tennessee that let me basically punt on a whole bunch of different classes and take as many writing classes as I wanted to, as long as I finished a thesis-length project by the time I graduated, and that was a novel. It was my first novel that I wrote. That Nobody will ever see it. It's totally awful. It's my awful college novel. But it showed me, like, it was the first long project that I'd finished, and it showed me what I was good at and what I wasn't good at and what I needed to work on. And then I got a whole lot of jobs where I wrote you know, writing newsletters or writing press releases, anything I could do where I was a writer while I worked in the evenings and weekends. And then later on when I was an English teacher, I taught eighth grade English for a little while in my summers while I was home. And I kept sending stuff out into the void trying to sell stuff. And I remember, so it was late 90s when I'd been trying to write a whole bunch of different stuff and decided I would stop doing all the different things and focus on writing for young readers because I had seen so many great books that were coming out at the time. Lori Hulse Anderson Speak was out, Philip Pullman's The Golden Compass. And I was like, oh, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in on what these people are doing. It's so amazing. So I stopped trying all the other things I was trying to make stick and still hadn't published anything. And then in 2002, my daughter Josephine was born and my wife and I had to decide if one of us was going to stay home and take care of her. My wife was like, look, it has been your dream since you were a kid to be a published author. She said, quit your job, stay home, be a stay-at-home dad, and try to make this work. This is your chance, right? So I did. I quit teaching. I stayed home. I was more of a dad at first than I was a writer, because when you got a baby at home, it's kind of your number one job. But while she was sleeping, while I could hand her off to my wife, I would run down to my office and I would work for like an hour, two hours at a time, writing for kids. And my first book I wrote while I was a stay-at-home dad was a book called Samurai Shortstop. And that became my very first published book. And I sold it before my daughter turned one year old. By the time my daughter was old enough to go off to school, I was established just enough to not have to go back to school as a teacher. And so I got to stay at home from that point on and be a full-time writer. And so 20 books in, my daughter is a junior in college. She turned 20 this year. I can always chart how long I've been at this from how old my daughter is. I always knew, like Brent, that I wanted to be a writer. And like Brent, my parents were always super supportive of me along the way and told me, if this is what you want to do, go do it. And that support was really instrumental in giving me the confidence to always go for it. That's incredible, both of you. What wonderful stories. And it all brings you here to the House of Ideas So let's talk about it. How did this story and this book come up for the two of you for Captain America, the Ghost Army? So I can start, Brent, and talk about pitching the story, and then we'll get to where you come in, if that's cool. And so I publish my prose novels with Scholastic, and Marvel and Scholastic teamed up to do a series of graphic novels for middle grade readers with characters like Shuri from Black Panther and Miles Morales' Spider-Man. There's a Ms. Marvel, one of the in this series. And I saw these were coming out. And I love Marvel Comics, and I write for Scholastic, and I went to my agent, and I was like, can I please pitch something? Like, how do I get in on this? And she said, well, what would you do? And I said, I don't know, give me a weekend, and I'll think of something. And so I I spent a weekend thinking, like, what character would I want to pitch and that sort of thing? And a lot of my books that I write for Scholastic are already about World War II. And I was like, well, wait a minute. What if I pitched a story about Cap 
and Bucky fighting Nazis in World War II. Like that would fit in with a lot of the prose novels I'm already writing. So I pitched it to my agent. She was like, oh my gosh, yes. I pitched it to my editor at Scholastic. She was like, oh my gosh, yes. We pitched it to Marvel. They were like, oh my gosh, yes. And so like the next thing I knew, I was like writing up an, an outline for it and, and, and going through the rounds of revision for it. And I was working on a cat book for Marvel. And the cool thing is I'd been sitting on this idea or this piece of research that I had that I didn't really know what to do with. So in World War II, the United States had a real army unit called the Ghost Army. And the Ghost Army was a group of soldiers who'd been recruited from like creative walks of life. So we had uh, like sound engineers and they had writers and they had stage magicians, illustrators. And they said, we want to put you in a special unit where your job is to trick the enemy. We want you to fool the Germans, the Japanese, the Italians, everybody, whoever we're fighting, we want you to trick them into thinking we have more tanks and planes somewhere that we don't, or that we're invading in a place that we're actually not invading. Like on D-Day, this group dropped dummy paratroopers with tape decks in their chests that played sound effects of machine guns, and they dropped them from planes in places that weren't Normandy to make the Germans think we were invading different places that day to try and spread their forces out. They would make inflatable tanks. They would record the sound of armies on the move and run around like the Blues Brothers with huge speakers on the top of their car, like blaring out the sound of armies on the move to make people in nearby villages think we were there. Anyway, I loved this idea, but I could never make it work for kids because I write books that have kid protagonists. And I was like, well, how do I do a story about the ghost army that has a kid protagonist. I can never make it fit. And then once I had Bucky and Cap, I was like, wait, I can have them run into the ghost army. And so that was the original pitch that I made to Marvel. Cap, Bucky, the U.S. ghost army fighting in World War II. And it goes from there and we can talk more about that. But I want to get in. This is the point where we were looking for an artist and somebody who had that really kind of classic retro look and Brent stuff just sang when we saw it. So Brent, I don't know if you want to jump in there when you saw the topic and the script and everything, how you yeah. came on board. Mine was funny because I just got a text from CB and it was like, <laughs> hey, are you going to do this cap thing for us? And I was like, what? <laughs> CB Sabolsky, editor-in-chief of Marvel yes. Comics over here. Yeah, I, I've, Name I'm drop. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty lucky that uh, it was like early days of Twitter and he was like, I'm going to be in Minneapolis. Does anybody in the comic scene want to hang out? And like, he's like, there's so many food places that I want to go check out. And uh, I had never met him, but I'd known of him. And I was like, we should go hang out with this guy. I feel like it would be kind of fun. And we proceeded to go out that night and we took him to all these places that had been on like diners, drive-ins and dives and stuff like that all throughout the Twin Cities. And we just kind of, that's how we got to meet years and years ago. And so we've, we've always kind of texted each other here and there about random life stuff. But he just, one day it was like, Hey man, you're going to do this Captain America thing. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, uh, a couple of years before I was tabling at New York comic-con, a couple editors from Scholastic actually stopped by my table and saw some of my artwork and they liked it. And I ended up doing some, uh, comic pages for a couple of books that they did about the creep show TV show. I don't really know how my name honestly got circulated for the book. I do know at Marvel, like sometimes you got to find the right project for you and stuff like that. And I've always understood that. And I think they just were like, oh, we finally got one for him. And so, <laughs> and uh, they sent me the script. It was super awesome. And it was perfect timing because 
as my daughters are kind of growing up, I kind of wanted to do some more all ages work or, you know, middle grade stuff. And also I spent a long time since I've actually done an, an OGN and I've been on monthly books and as fun as those are, sometimes they can just be a bit of a grind. And I like the idea of having something that's a, a little bit long-term and it's, so this was just all perfect for me. And it just reading the script, it was kind of everything you wanted. There was these zombies, these ghosts, <laughs> there was classic Marvel villains, which I don't know if we want to give away on here. If all in it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I just, I smiled ear to ear when I got the script and I was totally on board and couldn't wait to start drawing it. And it was cool. We got to, you know, there was notes about like, they didn't want the, the classic cap boots and stuff like that. They kind of wanted something that was a little more realistic. And so I'm looking at all the World War II stuff that Alan was talking about, like the inflatable tanks. Those were really fun to draw. And uh, Unlike yeah. the helmets, which <laughs> I know. I don't know. I, yeah, it took me a while to get Nazi helmets down, apparently, because <laughs> this is like, man, these things are wacky looking. So, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I put so many of those in the script. Yeah, there's only if like I'd 700 known. in the book. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known, I would have taken them out. <laughs> yeah. Keep pushing them back farther and farther in the panels as we get going. <laughs> Before we go on, you mentioned OGN. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that means, it's an original graphic novel. It's something that, you know, for a long time, we at Marvel didn't do as much. We did it a lot in the in the 80s and started in, you know, maybe mm. in the late 70s. But really in the 80s, we did a lot of them. And it's telling a, a story and sometimes a different um, size format or length format. And the case here with Captain America, the Ghost Army, it's almost 170 pages. So we get a, a nice, big, meaty story, as you were mentioning, Brent. So Alan, tell us a little bit about that story and, and get us some more details. Yeah, I was excited when when I asked them how long they wanted it to be. And they, they said, you know, we could do like 170 pages. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I've got a lot of room for a, a lot of story here. And besides getting the actual U.S. Ghost Army in there, and that was the inspiration to put literal ghosts into the story. And I thought this would be a great thing to fight. And listen, when you're writing for kids, you have to think about things in a little bit of a different way than if you're writing for adults. So where uh, a war story for adults could be a lot more violent and have a lot more human death in it for a middle grade book, I wanted to not do that. I wanted to tell a story of World War II, but not have a lot of people dying on the page. So I was like, well, what can I have my heroes fighting that is a challenge and that also won't be too bloody or too gory for a war? And that is ghosts. They're already dead. And so, you know, like, how do you fight something that's already dead? And so the idea is that the Nazis are resurrecting dead soldiers, sending them out as a ghost army, and that Cap and Bucky and company have to take those on, and that they have a particular challenge. You can't shoot them. You can't blow them up with bombs. Cap's shield goes right through them. You know, how are you going to fight these things? But when they touch you, they have that sort of death touch, you know, of ghosts. You know, they, they can kill you, but you can't kill them. I had to also think about, I'm telling a story set in the 1940s. So what Marvel villains are around in the 1940s? Or can I argue that that make it into the present day through magic means or through immortality or something like that? So I, I had an early conversation with uh, Sven Larsen at Marvel. And I said, who's on the table for me to use for villains? And he was like, Anybody and everybody. The whole Marvel universe is open. And I was just, I was floored. I thought there were going to be restrictions on it's got to be a traditional Cap villain or something like that. And I was thinking, am I going to have to bring out the Red Skull again? And listen, I like the Red Skull, but boy, he's in a lot of Cap comics, right? That's the big headline. Alan loves Red Skull. Right, big there you go. Of 
Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. That's the pull quote. Alan loves Red Skull. I, I do want to say Sven Larsen is our head of licensed publishing. So he helps make sure when we're not doing stuff that is specifically Marvel Comics, he's helping out and doing all those things. And what you just said is so Sven to me. It's like, you kind of, what can we do? He's like, anything? And he wants to let folks like you guys make the coolest Marvel stuff for yeah. whatever makes sense. It's so it was great. amazing. He said, put in as many Easter eggs as you want. Make as many references to other characters as you want. And so I I just went to town and decided I would pull a villain from Doctor Strange. So Baron Mordo is the one who is cooking up these ghosts for the Nazis. But he's also got some other stuff going on. I went deeper into Baron Mordo's character into the past with his father and his grandfather and pulled out some of the motivation there from the old sort of classic Doctor Strange comics and was able to work in a lot of that history, which again, Marvel was amazing. They just said, go to town, put it all in there. And and I was able to, yeah, so now we've got a literal ghost army being resurrected by Baron Mordo. We've got the American U.S. ghost army in there fighting. And then later on, that U.S. ghost army even cooks up some holograms, with some Stark tech. And that's where Brent got to come in. Brent is amazing at drawing monsters. And so (laughs) when I knew that he was great at at drawing monsters, I went to town in the script with the monsters that got brought up by the holograms. And I don't know if you want to talk about this, Brent, but we had a lot of fun pulling in Marvel monsters here. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, this is probably my biggest project at Marvel, but the book I'd worked on was Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple years back, which also had Dum Dum in it, which was very cool. And it had a lot of kind of unknown or lesser known Marvel monsters in it. It was a dream book I didn't even know I I wanted because it was just one of these far out of the left field kind of projects and stuff like that. And (laughs) getting to draw man thing and all that. It was just so much fun. That was the one project when it ended. I was like, God, I'd love to have another crack at some of those characters or something like that again. And so that was the best part of Captain America, the Ghost Army for me was kind of getting another crack at that. And uh, there's a certain scene where the Ghost Army creates these holographic images that seem really real. And uh, they're just classic Marvel monsters. And it was like, yeah, we could use anything. And I, I'm like a nerd. So I'm like, well, continuity wise, these don't really take place. <laughs> but once, we, once I kind of talked to Alan, I was like, I don't think it matters. It's like, okay, so we can throw in Tomb of Dracula in there. We can throw in Werewolf by Night and Monster of Frankenstein. And once it was kind of okay, I was like, I am in. And so, you know, we've got pretty much almost every 70s Marvel monster kind of in <laughs> with a wink, which is pretty fun. So, yeah, I can't even remember all of them. I have to Yeah, pull I know. The- there was a conversation yeah. about continuity. And we were like, okay, so a lot of these monsters were introduced later on than the time period we're writing about. And yeah. And my argument was, this is just the U.S. Ghost Army cooking up just some wild <laughs> monsters, right? They don't know... No that they're doing particular things from Marvel. They're not trying to reproduce something. Right, they're not trying, that's right. So they're just making up, you know, dragons that happen to look like Fing Fang Foom, as you do. I mean, it's a dragon with pants on. (laughs) I mean, you got me Amphibian in there. That's right. Yeah, I I laughed so hard when I saw a zombie Simon Garth. I was like, you (laughs) maniacs. It was fantastic. You had the big medallion on too. That's right. That's right. So good. (laughs) Gotta have the medallion. That's right. The thing I love about that too is though, you're going to get a young reader who comes to this book and doesn't know a lot about Marvel, but maybe knows your work, Alan, sees it somewhere, it's recommended, it's a school fair, who knows, any number of ways that they come to this book. And then they're going to see these characters going to be pouring over it as kids do. Mm -hmm. And then sometime later, they're going to find a picture of Fin Fang Foom and go, 
what Wait, <laughs> that dude from that book and then and then they're gonna see yeah. like all these little things and connect those dots i just get so happy about stuff like i'm that. so glad you said that because that's exactly what i was thinking about when i was doing this is like they don't really need to know who these characters are but hopefully if i do my job they'll kind of remember them and i remember that was the best part like when i was a kid is is i jumped into a comic like i said i jumped into peter david's run on Hulk. I just grabbed a random issue and it was a pretty nice issue to start with. It was kind of just Spider-Man and the Hulk fighting in Vegas and stuff like that. But you could tell there were side characters going on. I had no idea who they were. I just was like, I just want to get to this fight between Spider-Man and the Hulk. But then, you know, that was enticing and then you pick up more. And, and I, I hope that there's something with that, with this book that pulls kids in and is like, I don't know who all these characters are, but I want to find out more. And it gets them to pick up a back catalog of stuff you know i think that's that's the best part about making comic books really is just adding into this history and continuity yeah one of the things that i i often talk about this book in terms of the easter eggs and the things that that are going to be rewards in there for longtime marvel readers but i also want to be clear i really set out to write this book so that if it's the first time a kid has picked up a marvel comic that they're not going to mm -hmm. be lost they don't have to know that huge history that Brent and I know and that you guys know to get all those in-jokes. Those are just there if you're a fan and you have that long-time knowledge. But otherwise, I mean, I explain who Cap is and I explain who Bucky is and I explain who Baron Mordo is. I don't just assume that you know these characters when you come mm. into the book. And it's the same thing I have to do when I write books for kids about real history. So, you know, if I'm writing about World War II and I'm talking about Hitler and the Nazis, I can't assume that every middle schooler who picks up my book is going to have the knowledge that adults do of World War II history. And so I always have to make sure that on the pages of my novel that I actually get that out there. And so I made sure to do the same thing with this so that if it's your first exposure to Marvel history, that you're not totally lost, that there's a way in for readers who are brand new and there are rewards for readers who are longtime Marvel fans. I mean, I got a real kick out of Viscount Crowler, which I was like, wow, like nobody thinks about this character. Um, he's in like one issue, but he's really important to Mordo's story. And yeah. it gave me a real tickle. But, you know, there's also some just like fun stuff from comics that, you know, I think people forget about, like young Bucky, right. who, you know, we think of broody Bucky with the long hair these days because <laughs> of our, our wonderful portrayals in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. But I love the addition of young Bucky. Brent, I'm wondering for you, you know, as you were looking at some of, I presume, some of the old Cap comics. Yeah. You know, where were you pulling inspiration for your designs and, and the overall look? And also, I have to shout out Sophia. I love her design. She's giving so me Rosie the Riveter. I love her so much. <laughs> A fabulous design. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was one of the notes I think Lauren and one of the editors actually mentioned was kind of classic like put that in there so can't take total credit for that <laughs> um you know i i did i went back and you know i've got a lot of the old jack kirby early captain america reprinted and uh, i kind of wanted to go back to the original like 40s and 50s comics and stuff like that and see and there were certain things i picked up on like i noticed how high the early issues captain america's wings were on his head so i made sure that i was like that's kind of what i want to do even though it makes no sense <laughs> you know you probably <laughs> have a shot off some of those issues like they're just super huge too and i i did fight that urge i was like maybe we should make them really big but uh <laughs> but yeah I, I wanted to stick that in there and then one of the original ideas i had was to just make bucky's eyes all white and very expressive but uh, editorially, we talked and they were like, I think we want to keep this a little more grounded, even though we have these 
fantastic ghosts and zombies and stuff like that. And we kind of want to let them be the things that are supernatural and stuff like that. So we did keep Bucky's eyes a little bit that way. But, you know, I did. I, I really liked some of the youth that he had. And if you go back to some of those issues, like early issues and stuff like that, he's he's about ready to jump into the fight quicker than Cap is. He's kind of like, you know, it kind of reminds me of the, like the old cartoons with the big dog and the little dog. And like, you know, he's just... <laughs> doggy doggy and, and doggy daddy, right? Was, yeah, was yeah. It? And, and so I really like that kind of approach with Bucky. It's like he's, he's almost got to be told to chill out a little bit. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, he's he's a little bit skinny and bean polish and Captain America's a little more blocky. And, uh, you know, from that visual, it was really fun because I feel like it's been a long time since we've actually had an opportunity to do a cat book with him and Bucky together like that. You know, like he we've had the Winter Soldier for so long. And he's a great character and stuff like that. But we haven't had his early his early appearances kind of, I guess, look back on very much. So and then other than that, it was kind of like trying to find a mix between you know, modern day Cap and the way he is and then classic Cap. I, I was really happy with how they turned out. So it was pretty fun. Alan, thinking about how much work you've done, you know, around World War II and your other books, did that at all come as like a, a difficulty to sort of like unlearn stuff or try to take stuff that didn't make sense here to sort of recontextualize what you are thinking about for all your other books here in the Marvel Universe? Yeah, I, I had to, when I'm writing a novel that is purely historical. There's no fantasy element to it at all. I have to really hew very closely to what really happened. I can play with time a little bit. Here, I had a little bit more latitude to say, I don't really have to know what this battle is that's taking place. First of all, we're in Transia. We're in a Marvel fictional country, right? So I don't have to worry about what real battles happened. But to try and keep that verisimilitude, I did try to anchor the story near real places. The town Brossoff, where Dum Dum Duggan at the end is trying to hold out against a ghost army while Cap and Bucky are fighting Baron Mordo in his castle, that's a real place. And the fact that it has no river in it is kind of important to the story, like the actual geography of that town. And I sent Brent pictures of the city. I'm like, Brent, here's this actual town. Like, you know, use this to draw it from. And um, so I tried to ground it in reality so that it felt like it was a slice of World War II taken out of there. And, you know, Lorraine, you talked about the history of the Crowler character, but I also pulled in some history with Sophia's grandfather, and he's fought in World War I. I tried to have multi-generational stuff in this story. And the battle that he took part in that was the source of all the dead bodies they're using for the ghost army now, these World War I soldiers that died, that was a real battle. And so it was always really important for me and my editors to get those parts right so that if you, just like Brent was saying, if you go back and look up the characters in Marvel history, you'll find them. If you go back and look up the battles and the things I talk about in the history history, you're going to find those too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I did want to make sure we noted the beautiful cover here by David Aha, which is gorgeous. And and just looking at your other work as well, Alan, it sort of fits in aesthetically. I was like, that's some clever business right there. I think that's very very clever stuff, right? Yeah. So my first book was Scholastic. It's a book called Prisoner B3087. It is a story of the Holocaust. It's based on the true story of a guy named Jack Gruner, who has a kid survived 10 different Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And he lived to tell his story. He's passed away now. He died about three or four years ago. But I got to meet Jack and work with him to tell his story. And 
I hadn't planned on writing about the Holocaust, but then I met Jack and, and was introduced to him. And then I finished it and started doing other stuff. And that book got more fan mail than all of my other books combined. And people were like, when are you going to write more books about World War II? And I'm like, okay, I get it. I hear you. So the next book cover, I don't have anything to do with my book covers. Scholastic designs those and they do an amazing job, but they usually don't, when they come into my inbox, they don't even like, what do you think? They're like, here it is. Like <laughs> there's no, there's no asking me what my opinion is. So the next book cover comes in and it looks suspiciously like the cover to Prisoner. It's black and white and has red font and the same font. And I said, well, that's interesting. It looks a lot like Prisoner. Like, yeah, we want to make sure that all the kids who read Prisoner know that you wrote this too and pick it up. And the next book looked like that, the next book and the next book and the next book. And I think later on, like I wrote a book about D-Day called Allies and the art department was like, we're getting tired of the black and white and red. Can we put a little blue in there this time? And the sales and marketing people were like, no, change it, put it back. <laughs> so I was really excited to see what they would do. I did not know we were going to get a cover from David Aha. I was like, oh my gosh, that was just yeah. like, Boom, right? I was stunned. Oh my gosh, I didn't know they were even asking him. But of course, it's black and white and red and has the main character sort of standing in the middle of the yeah. page, just like my other books. And listen, they know what kids are looking for when they're looking for one of my books. And, and this cover totally fits the bill. Well, the book is phenomenal. It's got everything you want. It's got Cap. It's got Young Bucky. It's got Maximovs. We got magic, we got Mordo, we got monsters, all the M's. <laughs> who, at the end of the day, do you think this book is for? Who is it perfect for? Who would you recommend it to? Well, obviously, one of our primary audiences is kids. I write for middle grade and for those folks who are listening who are less familiar with the publishing term middle grade, it's usually like ages 8 to 14. It's upper elementary through the heart of middle school. And, you know, a lot of kids will read up. As they go into high school, they'll continue to read middle grade or, or kids who are in elementary school will read up into the category and read those. But that's kind of the, the heart of who I wrote it for. But I also think that it's going to appeal. I hope that it will appeal to longtime Marvel fans. And I don't know, Brent, if you want to jump in there and talk about that from your side of things, from the comic yeah. side. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think all the books in the, the Marvel Scholastic collaboration have been really great. But I think we're kind of like one of these, the first books that like, God, if you're the person who's been reading Marvel for 40 years, 30 years, I think this kind of has a classic Marvel comic feel to it. Like, I almost feel like you could have a variant cover with like the old Marvel Comics Presents or something like that across it, make it a little older looking, you know, it'd be kind of cool. Because I do, I think it kind of has this timeless old comic it feels like one of the books i got in a rummage sale so i don't know if you're a fan of zombies we got zombies if you're a fan of old school cap and bucky we got cap and bucky there is a little romance in this book i think brewing and so i think there's, it's got something for everybody and on that note thank you alan thank you brent thank you it was a pleasure thanks guys Get Captain America, the Ghost Army, now wherever you get your books. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's get into our community section and our question of the week. Next week's episode, we are going to have on Chuck Costas and Brian Crosby talking about the Marvel Prop Store auctions. We've got new auctions coming up from props and costumes and various things from Marvel's The Defenders and some of the various other Marvel series featuring Daredevil and Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. It's very exciting. So, question of the week. What is your dream Marvel prop to own? 
I would even say it could be anything really, like any of the kinds of props out there. But if you want to stick to one of these Defender series, that would be super terrific. Obviously, I would choose a stunt toilet and nothing else. There could be nothing better than a stunt toilet that we already own in your backyard. Surprise. There may be another stunt <gasps> toilet in the world. What? What? I guess everybody will have to tune in next week to find out about that. On top of the stunt toilet, of course, I would say one of the Daredevil costumes and those, they have them in the auction and they've auctioned oh, yeah. off before. Those are super cool. Those are just really, really neat. Take your cosplay to the next level. <laughs> There's some really fun stuff that you can get. And you never know, you might get a stunt toilet for a song like we did. So mm -hmm. you're welcome. You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, tell us if it is okay to read on the show because we want to know what prop you want. But we want to read it on the show. So tell us if it's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's get into your answers to last week's question of the week, which was, with which Marvel hero would you want to fight ghosts? First up, Matthew V. Liberto at Suntrip underscore tweeted, the obvious answer should be Ghost Rider, right? I say Spider-Man because we can crack jokes and then enjoy a hot dog on a ledge of some huge building somewhere afterwards. You could do that with Spider-Man anytime, Matthew. Ghost Rider is a fun one. I like that one. A ghost Rider. <laughs> Karis Bullard at Karis Bullard said, bit left field, but I'd want to fight ghosts with Squirrel Girl. I feel like ghosts often want a wrong righted and she'd be perfect for bringing them peace. And if that didn't work, Wiccan, because any excuse for Billy. Mm. I'm sure Billy could just like banish them wherever, but Squirrel Girl, that's great. That, that is true. She'd be like, what crime should I solve? Who wronged you? Yeah, she would become friends with all the ghosts. It would be great. She'd be like the ghost whisperer. She'd be Jennifer Love Hewitt. Dun, dun, dun. All right. MLK at Mace of Base tweeted, who better than Wanda Maximoff? Gotta go with the Scarlet Witch when you're talking arcane and occult. Bonus points if Doctor Strange and Bats make a cameo appearance. Bats, <gasps> bats of course. Bring a ghost bats. dog to hang out with ghosts. Oh, my. Why Why wasn't Bats the answer last week? I That should have been my answer. That's That is the right answer. Yeah, you messed up, Lorraine. I did mess up. You're right. I was wrong. Mm. You you win, Mesa Base. All right. Junkyard Dog at Junkyard Dog, but with some force, said, Doctor Strange, the experienced and magical might to handle all the supernatural threats, the trove of artifacts to play with, the backup of a team of other sorcerers if things get tight, plus I hear Bleecker Street is close to a good pizza after a fight. It always comes back to pizza. Absolutely. Browncoat67 at Bcoat67 said, I'd probably pick Tony Stark. Give him some time and we'll have suits that detect ghosts and filled mm. with gear to take care of them. One could say he was even busting ghosts with his new suits. Pig Wars at Pig Wars 2. I'd love to hang out with Quicksilver. Dude is just fun. And I'd love to do pretty much anything with him fighting ghosts or just playing video games. He would whoop your butt at video games because he's so fast. Abrock at Abrock9 said, Bats the ghost support dog, oh. except instead of fighting, we help ghosts overcome their trauma oh. and move on. Plus, we're just buds hanging out. Abrock, you win this week. Bats becomes a service dog to ghosts who need <laughs> so help. Cute. This is the best. <laughs> I now need a Bats card in Marvel Snap. Ooh. 
All right, next up, we got an email from Heather who said, Hi, Twim fam. After playing through Marvel's Midnight Suns, I'm a teacher and that's how I spent my winter vacation. I can definitely say I would take on ghost hunting with Nico. My daughter has read multiple runs of Runaways and she was thrilled to see Nico in the game, but this was my touchstone moment for her. I'm now a fan for life. As a practicing pagan, this game was more than I could have ever wished for. The elemental altar, collecting magical ingredients, working with ancient deities, seeing Nico wearing a big pentacle, and being a hero. Chef's kiss. My husband jokes that when Marvel asked for a target audience, someone handed them my picture. <laughs> Yours in magic and Marvel, Heather. Oh, Heather, what a great message. There's always something that someone can connect to, and hearing that from you, Heather, makes us so, so happy. I'm going to share that with the Marvel Games team. We got an email from Jacob who said, in answer to this week's question of the week, I would want to fight ghosts with a super deep cut character, Mahatma Doom. I feel like he would be very good at this and also help to calm down anyone suffering from ghost attack induced hysteria. He is a very interesting character and I would be super interested to see something done with him in the future. Heck yeah, good pull, Jacob. Everybody, if you've never read it, go check out the Doctor Strange series that started in like 2015, written by Jason Aaron. Yeah, real good. That's a fun one. Mm -hmm. All right. We got an email from Carol. If I was fighting an army of ghosts, the Marvel character I would want with me would either be America Chavez or Clea. I think they would both be pretty extraordinary at fighting off ghosts, America shooting them in two different dimensions, and Clea using her insane sorcery to fight them off. And they're just awesome characters in general. Thank you for giving Clea her love, her due. I, I think, you know, people are like, yes, America. Honestly, America is the person you want. If you want to get the heck out of there, Star Portal gone. No ghost can going to get me. Goodbye. Whereas I feel like Clay is like, I'm from the dark dimension. I will mess up a ghost. Yeah. I would fear for the ghosts against Clea. Yeah. Email from Henrik Hansen who said, Great episode as always. I've been having a very chill holiday and have been catching up on my Hulk graphic novels. Namely, Smashtronaut and Hulk vs. Thor, Banner of War. This is such next-level crazy storytelling, and I am here for it. Donny Cates can do no wrong. Also, this is from Ryan. Shout out to Ryan Otley, who's been artist on a lot of this. Martin Cocolo as well, but Ryan Otley doing so cool. His work is so good. Anyway, back to Henrik's email. It says, now I am not afraid of any ghosts, but I do hate double negatives. I would definitely like to fight ghouls and ghosties on the mean streets of Cleveland, Ohio with Howard the Duck. He oh. knows from otherworldly entities because he has fought Bessie the Hell Cow, a possessed <laughs> bovine. It was a whole thing. Also, Howard knows Quack Fu, so he would have my back. Regards to you and yours, Henrik. That was great, Henrik. Quack. Good pull. I feel like Howard would just be like, this makes me depressed. <laughs> In the yeah. best way. We have an email here from James Dean. Hi, Twim team. If I had to fight ghosts, I'd partner with Beast. His scientific knowledge would let us Scooby-Doo it. <laughs> Let's see who is under that ghost mask. <laughs> Thank you, James Dean. Honestly, I feel like Beast could figure this out. He would get there. We've got another email here which says, hope you had a happy new year. On this week's episode, you asked the question, with which Marvel hero would you want to fight ghosts? My answer would be Moon Knight, as I feel he is already on the supernatural level. He would best be able to handle any ghost that crosses his path. Moon Knight. I like that one. In the current Moon Knight comics, he's fighting vampires. So, ghosts ain't far. 
an email from Antonio Elias. Gwenpool, because she always finds a fun and or destructive way to beat anyone. Also, one of her best friends was a ghost, so he could probably give her tips. Antonio, she's like, I'll, I'll just climb outside of the, the panel and just beat the hell out of this ghost. That's fine. <laughs> All right, we got an email from Paul Warren who says, My ghost fight story is from the perspective of Bats the Ghost Dog. Strange, Magic, and Nico are too busy to help, but Jumbo Carnation saves the day because the ghost just wanted fashion advice. Dead Girl helped communicate. Not sure how Krakoan Resurrection protocols impact Dead Girl, but Paul, that is wow. some really great stuff. If you are, if anybody listening does not read, the comics very closely. There's a lot there you might miss, but talking about Dead Girl and Jumbo, mwah, chef's kiss again. Love, love, love it. Oh, what a week, Ryan. You got a year older. You saw Disney World. We fought a g-g-ghost. G-g-ghost. Uh, also, <laughs> shout out to those who sent some emails about looking forward to 2023. Thank you for getting them. But we, you see, we had a lot of great answers to this week's question. So thank you for writing in William and some other folks. Appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. We do. All right, that wraps it up. Everybody, go celebrate my birthday by buying Marvel stuff. This episode of This Week of Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk, Allison, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to a ghost. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Go, 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 ghosts.